Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. This week's special guest is an incredibly inspiring man named Damien Bajaya. The episode that we recorded literally sent shivers down my spine and I remember sitting across from Damien and looking into his eyes and just seeing true vulnerability. It was so powerful and I'm extremely grateful for that experience. On February 29th, 2020, Damien laced up his runners and set on his journey to run from Craigieburn to country Victoria, Yarrawonga over the space of six days. For my overseas listeners, to put that into perspective, that's 290 kilometers over six days, which is almost seven marathons, and he ran it all. You're probably thinking at this point, what a a nutcase, is this guy serious? But Damien's why is so incredible, and as I said earlier, it gave me goosebumps, and it still does. I won't disclose too much about Damien's journey, and I'll leave that up to him because I don't want to do it any disjustice, but... Sadly, Damien's father's life was cut short due to a rare form of cancer, and naturally this rocked Damien and his family, but he showed incredible resilience and channeled his energy into a passion project called Run For Joey. Through this platform, Damien raised some much needed funds for cancer research. This episode is definitely a tearjerker, and the messages that Damien hammers home through the episode are nothing short of inspiring. Joey Bajaya was Damien's superhero, and I'm so certain that he'd be extremely proud of the man you've become. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable today, Damien. You're an incredible human, and you're leaving behind an incredible legacy, brother. Well, that's enough for me, folks. I'll leave it up to you, Damien, to share your incredible journey, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Just a little disclaimer, guys. The things that Damien and I discussed today can potentially be triggering for some. It was quite a raw and vulnerable chat. So if you are experiencing a really difficult time at the moment, please reach out to either myself or Damien or utilize the resources that are available such as Lifeline and Beyond Blue and those links are in my show notes. Damien Bajaya, how you doing, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was hoping that you'd fuck up my last name, but uh, you got it right in the end, which is sick. Just to paint the picture for you guys, I've been reciting Damien's last name for the past ten minutes with him. I'm glad I got it right. <laughs> it's funny because I just said to you then, like all growing up, no one has ever been able to get it right. So just don't overthink it. Just say it, and if you mess it up, I'll correct you. I love it. So we got there. First part tick. Damien, awesome to have you on the podcast today, mate. We've been teeing this up for a couple of weeks now. I'm really, really excited to get into your journey and everything that you stand for. Um, how are you going with the whole COVID situation at the moment? It's a bit unprecedented through everything, but talk to us. What have you been up to? It's it's definitely a hard one, hey? Like, I speak to a lot of people about it, and it's 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 definitely a tough situation for most people. And I think... The best way I could have explained it to most people is, you know, when you when you go through and you <clears throat> and you're dealing with people's emotions because that's what we're kind of going with at the moment is like the first lockdown. I think people were happy to just we're going to get through this. Um, so everyone had a little bit of hope. Everyone had um, you know a sense of there was still community, there was still belonging, loving, connection, all these things that the human um, mind sort of interacts off. I think now we're in the second lockdown, it's definitely a lot harder. I even know for me, for someone who's so motivated, dedicated, passionate, it does wear you down. And it's just about like now trying to find alternative ways 
to try and stay happy because ultimately that's what we're trying to do um and it's just for me i've i've built my life based on connection like i love interacting with people for me it's i love the embrace i love hugging and kissing people and just checking in and making sure everyone's okay and i think like the the last sort of like three months is that's the biggest change that i've seen with myself is like not being able to to just say let's go out for a coffee like let's go get a feed let's let's catch up in that sense um so like i'm i'm doing okay but the term that i use and it's funny because i say to people i'm phenomenally average <laughs> i like it. and that's and that's the only way i can explain it is like i'm doing amazing in such a shitty period in this world and um I think all we can do is just is manage at the moment. Uh, it's yeah, it's hard to put things in place. It's hard to you know work on some of the the business things that we want to do. Or for me, it's the running, like trying to implement some some new runs and things like that. But yeah, man, it's it's phenomenally average for me at the moment, which is which is not a bad thing. It's the nicest way of saying we're getting by. I like it. Phenomenally average. I'm going to steal that off you, man. Yeah, I guess it's very, very, very hard times for everyone. I think we're all craving that human connection. Like mm. you said before, I've got customers that are coming into, you know, the kind butcher and just having half an hour chats about mm. veggie burgers, like mm. stuff that doesn't <laughs> even matter, man. But like really people are craving that connection. So yeah. I'm happy that, you know, we've got that platform that we can do. And I think just to preface what we're what we're about to chat about i think now's a really important time to check up on your family and friends and really have meaningful conversations like ask how you are and then ask again how are you really doing because i think Mm. it's never been more important than it is now my my thing is with like the most common term that i hate being used is people saying how are you and not not caring enough to follow through with that question and and actually sit there and be present and open up your ears and listen um I think as human society, we've we've gotten to a point where we ask how you're going as we're kind of passing by, but then we're still, you know, we're not actually like understanding what people are saying. Like if you're going to ask that question, and now more so than ever, don't just implement it now. Use this time as a as a stepping stone for implementing that in your life. Is like if you're going to ask how you're going, be willing to sit there and actually listen to that person, because like you said, now more so than ever we need it, but just in, in society in general, man, we, we like, this is what we need. Like, you know, um, suicide rates at the moment are going through the roof, mental illness, depression, anxiety. Like, yes, we need it more so now than ever, but the flow on effects of what is happening now is, is gonna be felt in 12 months, 24 months, five years time. Like, mental illness has no limits. So if you're gonna ask how you're going, make sure you're damn well willing to sit there and listen. Absolutely couldn't agree more, man. I guess, you know, just to tie that in a bow, our our lifestyle before this wasn't exactly a mental health paradise anyway. So yeah. use this time to reflect and, and really make sustainable change. Mm. And like you said before, ask meaningful questions, mm. really care about that person. Mm. If you guys are looking for tips on how to do so, I did a great podcast, I think episode 40 something with the team at Adventures Over Anxiety. And they're doing a great thing in terms of changing the stigma around mental illness. But mm. there's some awesome tips on how to be an active listener and how to ask meaningful questions. So mm. go and um, have a listen to that one, guys. Damien, you have such an incredibly inspiring story. I can't wait to get into everything that you're doing with for Run for Joey and, and everything that you're living through your everyday life, man. I'm really, really passionate about everything that you're doing. But before we get into that, talk to us a little bit about your background and upbringing. What was life like for Damien Bujaya? Bujaya. <laughs> Just call me Budgie. Let's yeah, go with Budgie. Budgie. I like it. Um, Nothing crazy, hey, I, um, I, I've been sitting the last week and I was writing, um, I'm just working on my content in terms of my website and I was writing my about me or my journey and my first line was, 
you know, I don't have that crazy upbringing story of hardship and, um, you know, loneliness and, you know, a lack of belonging and lack of connection and abuse and things like that. Like, the, the greatest part of my experience, my life was perfect, man. And that's simple. Like, I had amazing parents, uh, beautiful family, uh, holidays every year. Like, life for me was unreal, man. Um, you know, I had a dream and that dream was to play AFL footy. Um, so I worked, you know, tirelessly towards that. So growing up, it was just, I, I lived a normal life. I was a kid, man. I'd rub my face in the mud and, you know, I'd be playing footy in the street with the kids, you know, who lived next door. And for me, it was like, it was unreal. Like, I, I, I couldn't fault the way my parents, up, like, my, you know, brought me up and, and taught me the values that sort of held me instead for, you know, what essentially what I've been through and, and what I'm doing now. So, um, you know, the dream was AFL. Like, that was, and every kid is like, you know, what's your dream when you're a kid, man? Like, you want to play sport, you want to be active, you want to, you want to do something like that, you want to be a firefighter, police officer, whatever it is. Like, you don't really think too much outside the square when you're a kid. Um, you sort of have a dream, but you don't really know how to do nah, it. <laughs> no, nah, you don't. Like, you don't know the process and you don't know the work that's going to come or you don't know what the adversity is going to be like in the process. You just think, you know, being out in that field with thousands of people screaming and, like, that was me, man. I just, I worked towards that. Um, so growing up, yeah, like I just, that's what I did. Um, and it seemed like that was going to be a reality for me. I, I, you know, played a high level of footy at a young age and sort of worked my way up through the ranks um, and ended up playing TAC Cup footy. So went and played out the Calder Cannons, um, went to draft camp, did all those things. Um, and then, yeah, man, it was kind of a, a turning point with injury and stuff when I was 18. Um, just started, my body just started failing a little bit with me um, a lot of hamstring a lot of soft tissue injuries and whether that was a result of under training or not training the right way I'm not sure or a matter of of you know the pressure that I was putting on myself I'm, I'm yet to discover that but um, didn't end up getting drafted which was quite disappointing for me so I went and played VFL for six years um, so I played out at Williamstown for six years and did, did all that but somewhere along the line I kind of lost the love for it um, and I think that came down to um, when dad was diagnosed with cancer. So uh, 18 years old, you know, you never think, I think when you, when you go through life, you never think that you're going to go through something like that. Like, you know, I'd always seen the term cancer and I'd always seen, um, you know, in the news or reading things like cancer just started becoming more prevalent sort of over the last 15 years, 20 years. But you never think it's going to happen to you. And I think that's what, like, I just thought I was invincible, as we all do when you're 15, 16, 17. Like, I just thought, like, life's been amazing up until this point. Like, what's going to change now? Nothing. Like, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Everything's just good. Um, but what you realize quite quickly is things can shift, and they can shift in the space of a day. And that's, for me, what was so scary about that whole situation was, you know, knowing that one day I had a dream, one day I had an ambition to play a high level of football and you know the next day was faced with dealing with probably the hardest thing that I'd ever have to deal with and I'm sure we'll delve into that a little bit more but in terms of an upbringing yeah couldn't fault anything about it yeah Damien I'm blown away by your resilience man and I guess like at the time you don't think stop to think at about why these things are happening to you and um, I'm a huge believer and all my listeners would know that 
I'm a huge believer in everything does happen for a reason and you might not actually know the reason then and there but just trust the process trust the universe and you're exactly where you're meant to be in saying that Damien like the things that you've been able to build based on those sort of negative situations mm-hmm. has just been unbelievable man i really really can't wait to get into into everything that you know you've you've sparked from those negative situations but before we go any further um who was your dad to you and and how did the that sort of setback affect you both mm. emotionally physically socially it's i'm gonna del- i'll delve into it because it's it's the only way i know how to explain it um so for me, I, I did my dad's eulogy. Uh, I wrote it and I delivered it at the funeral. And the one thing I said about dad was, like, I don't believe in superheroes. I don't believe, um, you know, in caped crusaders and things like that. But for me, like, dad was just my superhero, man. Like, I, I looked up to him, everything he did. Like, I just loved seeing him, the way he cared about people. I saw, like, just the way he interacted with people and... You know the way he made people better like and for me that was like i just to sit back and watch him and be like if i just take five ten percent of that for me that's like that's life like you know like i i get that we you know we have mentors in, in terms of you know pro athletes and like we look up to these people but for me it was like my dad was living reality like i saw that every day i breathed it um so for me, he was like, honestly, he was my superhero. So when I saw him, and I still remember to this day plainly, like how it played out was um, we went in for just a routine. He was going in to get his appendix taken out um, and we're at the Northern Hospital and we sat and we were just waiting. Like, you know, me, my brother, my mum, it was supposed to be just a routine removal of the appendix, 45 minutes in and out. Um, and I remember my mum got a phone call and... Uh, all I kind of heard was like this massive drop and I looked over and my mum had collapsed on the floor. So I rushed over and didn't know what was happening and I just saw the phone was on the floor and it just had like, it was still on dial. So I picked up the phone and I said, hello. And it was the surgeon that was operating on dad. And I said, what's wrong? And uh, the surgeon just turned around and said, and I don't know if they get trained on how to deal with people and how to deal with it. But they just said, your dad's riddled with cancer. There's nothing we can do. We'll come talk to you in a minute. And it's like, in that one split second, man, like, I, it's like one split second, you just went from everything's going to be okay to shit, like, everything's not okay anymore. Like, and you don't know how to process that. Like, I always say to people, when it comes to trauma and things like that, man, you, you don't have a rule book. Like there is nothing that says, all right, well, this is how it's going to play out. This is how you control your emotions and this is how you deal with it. It's like, I didn't know what to do. I was, I think at the time I was 18 years old, like 18 years old, man. Like I'm supposed to be smiling and laughing and... Innocent to the world. Yeah, just, you know, but like you said, innocent to the world. It's, I didn't know how this thing was going to play out. All I knew was instantly in my mind, I was just thinking, how is he? Like, is he okay? Like... He doesn't know like he doesn't know anything like that was like my heart sank at that point was like as much as like my mum was distraught I, my mind just went instantly to him so i was like all right well what's we gotta what's the process now so we had to just wait and it was like the most grueling 30 minutes of my life was just waiting for the surgeon to come down because you just don't know like 
I'm not a surgeon, I'm not a doctor, I'm not, no one knows what the process of cancer is. Like, no, it's just, it's such a, like, challenging time. So the next 30 minutes was just, like, agonizing, man. Like, it's probably the worst 30 minutes I've ever had in my life, like, to this day. Um, so the surgeon came down and we, well, we went in a room, the three of us, my brother, my mum, myself, and the doctor said, um, he goes, yeah, your father's riddled with cancer. We can't operate here at the Northern. He has to go to a specialised, um, the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre, and you have to deal with there. They, he goes, but it's not good. Like he said, this is probably not something that he'll recover from. And I was like, what? I was like, what do you mean? Like something he can't recover from? Like 24 hours ago, my dad was like my bloody hero, man. Like he was healthy. Like we would in the, be in the gym together. We'd go play squash together. Like. He didn't smoke, he didn't drink, you know, he was he was healthy. Like, how could, I mean, you think, like, how, why? Like, why him? Like, you know, this, in my mind, I'm like, there's so many other bad people out there. And in hindsight, now I look back, I'm like, I, sh- yeah, I shouldn't, I never think like that now. But I was like, why him? Like, he did everything right. And now I look back, I'm like, you know what? There was a reason why it was him, you know? And you know, I'll get, get to that part of the story, but... So now it was a matter of, all right, well, let's just control emotion. Like that was the number one was like, everyone was half emotion. Mum was distraught. You know, my mum had been with him for 30 years, like built a beautiful family, built a connection. Like I could never understand what mum's gone through now, you know, even to this day, I'd never understand what she's been through. Same as my brother, like we're all different in that situation. So anyway, we went to the Peter Mac, dealt with it there. And I think we kind of realized early on that this wasn't going to be something he'd get through. So now it was a matter of, all right, well, how can we sort of give years to his life or how do we just keep him comfortable? So we went through numerous amounts of surgery, like major surgeries, like to the point where they were like six, seven, eight, nine-hour surgeries, like brutal. So my dad was 110 kilos when he got diagnosed. And just over the years when you're there every day you don't see the progression of decline but like for people who saw him like every six months they they would always say to me like oh your dad doesn't look well and i just never like i saw it but i didn't because i was there every day but when i look back now the photos like pre him getting sick and then him like dying like it was it was brutal man and you know along the way i learned like a lot so many lessons and probably lessons that i take into everyday life now like and the first one is like resilience like you know when someone's faced with death and you see him every day and like waking up in pain and and that's like what like what we saw with dad was man every day he would get up and i could just imagine how much pain he was in like i never ever understand it i never try to understand it like you know he died at 45 kilos man like so you know over five years he just declined declined and I always think like what did that do to his mental state like you know where was he at mentally like what was he how was he emotionally because my dad was very like he he hit a lot like he was always like tried to be strong for everyone but he was the one who needed like the help the most now um so at like 19 years old i was i became a full-time carer like i i quit uni i quit my job um and i stayed home for two years man like just every day um had to get lessons on how to inject him with morphine. Um, so I'd get woken up sort of two, three in the morning where he'd be screaming in pain. I'd have to, you know, hobble over to his room, 
get a syringe and jab him in the thigh and just you know sit with him and just make sure he was okay like at 19 years old like I didn't know I didn't know what that was doing to me um and I just knew that I had to be in the moment I had to be present I had to be with him I had to be with mum because mum she didn't know how to deal with it it was it was hard for her like I didn't expect her to be a full-time carer like that's that's not a job that you just fall into like you've got to be prepared mentally and emotionally to go through it um and I just felt like at 19 I was mature enough to just do it and I had to do it like I wanted to do it for him so yeah man I became a carer for two years and just spent every day morning afternoon night just caring for for him and he ended up having an ileostomy bag which is like his large intestine was placed on the outside of his stomach and um so that had to be treated every day so every day i'd be cleaning dad's intestine um like it was just some of the stuff that i wouldn't want anyone to see like not even my worst enemy man i wouldn't i wouldn't want anyone to go through it because it's 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 done things to me that uh, like i'll never be able to unsee um as much as i like i've learned to deal with it now but you know there was times where i remember sort of like two three years in that um i'd walk around the house and I'd grab a knife and I'd like just I'd poke myself in the chest like I'd I'd put it on my wrist and like I'd just dig it into my wrist a little bit and I just always said to myself if one day I felt like it was too much like what would it feel like to to kill myself and like that was that was daunting like and I'd I'd do it constantly because I was just mentally and emotionally I just couldn't picture not being with him like and being without him like and what killed me the most was just seeing how much pain he was in. Like every day, just waking up and seeing him on the couch, like screaming in pain. Like I can't explain how. Like I, I just felt I felt it hopeless. Like I just felt like I couldn't help him. I felt like I couldn't do anything. But I just knew I just had to support. I just had, to, and that's sometimes that's all we have to do. Like even now, like I never feel like if someone comes to me with a problem, like I never feel like I have to fix them. Sometimes it's just about supporting and just being there for someone. So, you know, those times where I'd walk around the house with a knife, like, I, I never shared that story until about three months ago. Um, to this day, like, my family didn't know, like, no one, like, my best mates never knew. And I shared it at my gala after the run. And I opened up about that story. And I think it was, like, people just instantly were like, what the fuck, like... Because I was just this one that always was strong. Like, I was like my dad in that sense. Like, I'd, I'd just make sure that everyone else around me was okay. But on the inside, it was probably killing me more than anything. So, yeah, like, I'd... And I never claimed to, like, having suicidal attempts or anything like that. Or even going through depression. Like, I certainly had depressive moments. I was never depressed. And I never actually attempted to commit suicide. But the thought was certainly there. And I think it's relatable to like a lot of people who are going through some shit. Like you always think, you know, would it be easier if I wasn't here? But then in the back of my mind, I, you know, I even had a conversation with someone today and I, I said to her, like she was having a bit of a tough time. And I said, the easiest thing we can do is just feel numb, you know, not feel pain, you know, like either you know, top ourselves or turn to drugs, turn, turn to alcohol. So the easiest thing we can do is like, is we can numb everything. Um, and that's one thing I didn't want to do. I was like, I want to feel, I want to make sure that I feel everything. Because it's not until you understand your emotions. Like it's not until 
you know, you understand what it feels like to be frustrated, angry, pissed off at the world, like, till you understand how to deal with it. So for me, I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to kill myself because I've got my mum, I've got my brother, I've got a nephew, I've got a sister-in-law, I've got my friends. I've got so many more people that depend on me that I need to be here for. Um, so I definitely learned how to be resilient just watching dad. So that was the first lesson. Um, the second one was around fear. Like, I don't, I don't really fear much these days. Like, I don't, I don't fear anything. And it's simply because the one moment that kind of changed my life was around... It was two, I remember it was two, three days before dad passed away and uh, the doctors came to us and they said, and uh, like the nurses, they know, they know what it, you know, when it's the end of someone's life, they know when it's happening, they know the process, the signs. So they came to us and they said, um, so this, would have, this was January 2017. And they said, oh, just prepare like this is probably the last week. And by this stage, we were, we were ready. Like I was ready for dad to, I, I, in my mind I was, I had probably been ready for the last 12 months for him to pass and I was just wanted him to pass because I was just, I was just sick of seeing him push and fight every day, like just every breath was tough. So when the, doc, when the doctors told us, I said to my mum and my brother, I sat down, I said, well, I said, he deserves to know, like he deserves to know that this is going to be the end. I said, because if he wants to say anything to mum, to my brother, to me, to the family, like he deserves that right. So I said, we have to go tell him. And my mum instantly was like, there is no way, like there is no way that I can go and look him in the eye without breaking down or even communicate that to him. My brother said the same thing. And I said, fuck. I was like, oh. I was like, all right. I said, I'll do it. I said, but just David, my brother, I said, come just support me. Just, just be there with me just to, just so we're there together. I remember we walked in the room. At this stage, Dad was, he was kind of out of it, but he was on, you know, a lot of, like, drugs, ketamine and things like that just to keep him comfortable. So I went in, sat down. I remember I kneeled down on one side, my brother kneeled down on the other, and I just said to him, I said, how are you feeling? And uh, he just said, uh, he, and this was, like, kind of the last words. He just said, I'm tired. And I was like, straight away, my, my heart sunk. You know, I started tearing up. I just said, Dad, I said, we've spoken to the surgeons and the doctors and they said, this is, this will be the last couple of days. And like every time I tell this story, it just makes me emotional because it brings up all those feelings. But I, I like telling it because it shares the experience and kind of what he went through. But I said to him, so whatever you want to say, you want to speak to David, I said, you want to speak to mum. I said, you want to speak to me, anyone else in the family? I said... I said, you're like, this is it. I said, you don't have to fight anymore. I said, you don't have to be strong. I said, you've you've proven, you know, your resilience. I said, you've proven, you know, who you are as a person. I said, so, I said, it's time that you just, like, you're, you're okay to let go now. Um, and he just, he looked at me and he looked at my brother and my brother was bawling his eyes out. I was trying to fight back tears and he said, I'm just, I'm scared. And I look back now and I'm like, I was like, we fear so much as a society. Like, we fear relationships. We fear going for that job. We fear making that one decision. We fear, like, you think about all the things that we fucking fear, man. Like, every day we constantly wake up and we're riddled with fear, like, of doing things. And I looked at that situation. I was like, when someone's faced with death and they're about to find out what's on the other side of this reality, that's fucking fear, man. 
like to me that is fear like that is ultimate fear like if someone said to me Damien tomorrow you are dying I would I would be in so much agony for that like so I said to myself I'm I have no reason ever again to live in fear doesn't matter what I do doesn't matter what decisions I make as tough as they're going to be what position I put myself in what situation I'm in I never have to live in fear again um and every time I feel like I'm getting to a point where I'm you know starting to fear anything I just think back to that situation just looking dad in the eyes and telling him he was going to die like that's scary man like that is so scary like it it, shen, it sends shivers down my spine even to this day and but it was the greatest lesson ever like for me I'm like any decision I make now man I'm I'm sweet I know like I want to start a business you know I want to reach out to someone I want to put myself in an uncomfortable position I want to go run to another state like who cares man like well a bit of physical pain a bit of like mental battles like it's nothing compared to what dad went through you know and i could never fathom that ever i'm blown away <laughs> man like i literally have goosebumps to the back of my neck i'm gonna come around i'm gonna give you a hug I'm, <laughs> like, i have no other way to express this emotion come here bro give me a <laughs> i could see you were tearing up just a little bit there but yeah man it's um but this is life Take a water, man. Have a sip. (laughs) The amount, like, the pure vulnerability there, Damien, is like, it's just, I I can't put into words. I'm absolutely blown away. I'm inspired. And, like, that that alone is is incredible and the things that you were forced to do in those situations it's just amazing and you know your dad looked at you and you were his rock man like you you helped him through those situations and and even the little things like you getting up at two o'clock in the morning and just giving him some comfort that would have lighted up his world man so um i tip my hat to you that's amazing in saying that in those times who did you turn to when you needed support and and what did you do about it yeah i think this is where I learned a lot was I didn't turn to anyone um, and in hindsight I wish I did I wish I let more people in because now I think I'm a bit more wiser I'm a bit older um, I've got a bit more experience under my belt I certainly I should have turned to people but at the same time it's not something that and, and anyone <clears throat> who goes through something like this they can appreciate it is it's hard to turn to people who don't understand what you're going through. So for anyone who is fighting a battle at the moment, it's it's hard to turn to people who haven't been through your situation. So for me, one, it was, I couldn't really turn to people because I had no one in my network who was fighting a battle that I had been through. Two, I just didn't want that burden on someone. And that's how we a lot of us feel is like, you know, we just don't want that burden. Like I just didn't want to talk to my best mate and be like this is what's happened today and put that person in a position of like vulnerability themselves but now I'm a bit wise and now I understand a bit more it's like people don't have to understand and that's okay like <clears throat> if I turn to you Matt and say I'm fighting this battle today like dad was you know feeling like this today and I had to get up at two in the morning and you know fill a syringe with ketamine and inject him like you don't have to sit there and understand. But you you kind of have to sit there and just be present. Present enough to just listen to me. 
And that's the one thing I wish I, I did more now was like, was just speak to my mates a bit more about how I was feeling at that time. Um, because they didn't have to say anything back to me. But just that notion of someone being present and someone understanding to the way I was feeling is enough for me to feel comfort now. So whenever I know, you know, not, aren't feeling myself, I'll call my best mates. And I'll just say, you know, do you mind if, I, if you listen to me for half an hour? And it's not about whinging or anything like that, but it's just about, it's the turn, like getting things off your chest, off your, off your chest. Like, that's all we need to do sometimes, you know? Um, now I've obviously got a bit of a network that have been through certain things. So, you know, certain situations that I go through, I'll turn to certain people. But yeah, I think just that realizing that you, you don't have to understand. People don't have to go through what you've gone through. Um, they just have to be present enough to sit there and listen. So I certainly wish that I did open up a bit more, but at the same time, you know, I, I dealt with it in my way. And as I mentioned, probably in the opening of this podcast, I was like, there's no rule book. There's no, no one can tell you the way you, you have to handle it. Um, and you're not, you're not going to know until you're in that situation. Like you can't pre-plan that. You can't brainstorm. You know, like, like you can't, man. It's, it's hard. Like, I, if someone comes to me and says, "Oh, I've got this going on and that going on," I'll never understand. Like, as much as yes, my, like, I lost my father when I was twenty-three. He was fifty-two years old. If you come to me and said, you know, you've got this problem going on, I'll never understand your situation because that's that's your situation. The one thing I will understand is the emotions. Like, I'll understand what it feels like to feel disconnected and angry and frustrated and lonely and I'll understand those emotions so I can comfort in, in that situation but I can't understand what you're personally going through in your situation so yeah I certainly wish I'd, I'd turn to, to more people but at the same time I just dealt with it as best as I knew how definitely Damien I guess a tip that I've you know learned from chatting with different people in this sort of space especially with the team at adventures over anxiety is that you don't have to provide a solution for them you're not there to provide a solution mm. you're there to just be a soundboard and just listen and mm. and one sort of statement that resonates with me a lot when someone needs me for support by the way my inbox emails phones always open i'm mm. sure Dane is oh, exactly 100%. the same way so we love connection and love helping people as much as we can but the one thing that they really said to me and it really resonated was, oh my God, that's that's heavy. Like, mm. I really feel how you're going through that. What do you need from me right now mm. that can help you? And like, mm. sometimes it might not be anything. Sometimes mm. it could be a hug like I did before. Like, I didn't mm. know that was right. But like, you know, it's just, yeah. just ask and, and listen and be present. And like, yeah. I think that's the best thing that we can do. Yeah, it's uh, one of my best mates, Matty Runnels, um, owns a mental health charity. And uh, he always says, don't wait for people to re reach out, you reach in. And that's what I do now is like, always reach into people, like people who are going through, you know, mental health problems, depression, anxiety, disconnected, loneliness, they're not always gonna reach out. So like, one thing I always say to people is, you have to reach into people. Um, and I do it every day now, like I make sure I message four or five people on a daily basis and I'll just reach in and just say, I hope you're having the day that you deserve. How are you going? Do you need anything? Just let's have a conversation. Like most people who are finding it tough aren't gonna reach out to you. Like, so if you're gonna spend your life waiting for that person to finally tell you that something's wrong, majority of the time it won't happen. So 
take take the initiative like be proactive in it like see the signs like i think that's the biggest thing is like most people are oblivious to the signs of when someone's feeling down and that's just a that's a reflection of how we interact with people like i know for me now like i'll, I'll know if someone's not feeling right like I, i'll know by the conversation are they acting out of character are they not doing something that they would normally do like are they breaking some sort of routine like there's so many signs like get your head around what they are you know and that's about understanding that person understanding their lifestyle their routine you know sometimes they're not as bubbly as other times well why like there's a reason why they're not as bubbly like there's a reason as to why you haven't communicated as much to them lately like i think the biggest thing is find those signs um and that's what i try and do it every day is like you know people always say oh like especially on podcasts they're like how do you how can we follow you and i'm like don't just follow me don't follow me interact with me like that's why i'm here like if you're going to follow me and just double tap and like my photos and do all that, I, like, I, I don't need you there. I want you to interact with me. Let's have a conversation. It might even just be a quick conversation, but I want to get to know who you are as a person and you get to know me because you can't just follow something you know nothing about or know, you, know, you don't know anyone. Like, you don't know what that person's situation is. You don't know how they communicate. You don't know anything. So find out what the signs are first. And then you can start to reach in, you know, because it's one thing just to be like, oh, if you need me, I'm here. Well, that's probably not enough in today's society. Um, if we're going to wait for people, it's, it's yeah, we're, we're going to keep going down the trap of, you know, these increases and sharp increases in mental health. But if we can take the initiative and sometimes it pays to draw that, agonizing pain out of people like i know it's hard and but i think the more conversations around these vulnerability conversations um we're giving people a safe space and that's what when you're feeling down in the dumps and you're feeling like shit you just don't want to be judged like i know that a lot of people i speak to is like we just don't want to be judged for the way we're feeling so my thing is now create let's create a safe space for people to be able to open up and have these conversations because that's where it's at definitely and i couldn't agree more on the vulnerability sector there is so much power in vulnerability mm. and like just the impact that you can have on on other people's lives and on, not only yourself but on other people's mm. lives as well from being vulnerable is, is incredible yeah you got to shift the focus from like me to we it's simple like as soon as you start having the, the mentality that it's me it's me like it's what i'm doing it's me it's me it's like oh, fucking who gives a shit about you man like if you're gonna have that attitude like understand what you can do to make other people better and that's the that's the one thing i'm trying to do now is like i'm not here to put myself on a pedestal i don't tell my story and get vulnerable and open up because i'll you know i want people to look at me as this strong character like, i couldn't give a shit like i'm here and i tell my story and i tell it in depth and i tell you to the minute detail how agonizing it was because someone out there someone listening to this podcast today will say shit i can relate to that I couldn't agree more, man. Like, I'm blown away. Like, I've got to, got to remember I'm actually leading this conversation, man. Uh, Damien, uh, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing mm. that, man. I think, you know, that empowerment that you've just shared with everyone is going to empower people on a wide scale. And, mm. and I guess I'll, I'll wrap that up in a bow that if you're ever in need, like, Damien's door is always open. My door is always open. Please reach out. There is support networks out there. 
um, and not only reach out, but it's on you, on your friends to reach mm. in and, and check on everyone, especially in this time. Now, Damien, before we get into <laughs> everything with Run for Joey, which I'm, I'm super excited to dive into, mm. what was, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit, what were the, the thoughts going through your head when you were 21 and, you know, dealing with these catastrophic things in your mm. life and, you know, suddenly you're, one day you're innocent and you're, mm. you know, trying to get to that AFL dream and the next day, you know, you're, you're forced with all these setbacks. What, what was it like? For, for Initial you? thought, welcome to fucking reality. <laughs> That's it, man. Like, I'd never been through hardship before this, but I soon realised that, man, this is life, eh? Like, this is, this is how shit is supposed to pan out. Like, I, I, I didn't really, like, delve into it too much, but I was like, fuck, man, like, life's supposed to be easy. Like, and that's the attitude I take now is, like, everything for me is just a lot easier now because of what I've been through. But at the time, I was like, I just want things to go back to normal. It's a bit like how we are now with COVID. It's like, I just want things to go back to normal. I just want everything to be okay. Like, and I use the term now, and I put it in everything I do, is, like, get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I learned that back then. I was like, shit, man, like life's uncomfortable. Like you're going to get up every day and something's going to happen that you're not going to be happy to be in that position or that situation, but get comfortable doing it because the lessons and the messages you're going to learn from that are so much greater than staying in your comfort zone. Like the comfort zone's boring, man. You don't learn shit from being in there. Like, so for me, it was like, all right, my hand was forced. Like I was put into a situation that I could not control. And that's, and that's the hardest thing that you can do is be put in a situation that you can't control. But even in the worst situations, you can always control something. And the one thing that you can control is your emotions and your reactions and what, what actions you take as a result of what's happening. So for me, I just started to realize quickly that, man, I'm in control of all of this. Like regardless of every external thing that happens to me, he's like... I'm in control, man. I'm control the I'm in control the way I respond, the way I react, the way I deal with my emotions, the way I then treat other people based on what's happening in my life. So at 21, that's a pretty important lesson to learn. So I felt like for me, like when Dad passed away and I was 23, I already felt like I was 30, like maturity-wise. So I would never change my circumstance. Like right now. Don't get me wrong, I'd love to have my dad back. But if I didn't, I'd probably be stuck in my nine to five. I'd probably be stuck in my relationship. I'd probably be just going down the avenue of just doing what I thought was right at the time, was getting a house, paying a mortgage, paying my bills, having a family, which nothing wrong with that. Like, I never say to anyone, like, if that's your dream, perfect, man, live it. But I realized what more was out there. So at 23... I felt like I had a head start, you know, I'd, I'd matured, I'd dealt with every emotion possible and I had a fresh start now. I was like, it's sad to say, but like, it was like the weight of the world just was off my shoulders when dad took his last breath. And I remember it clearly like that last breath. I was like, it was like all my anxiety and my like frustration just left me. So I was like, fuck man, the, like this is my life now. Like I, I get to dictate on my terms, where my energy goes and how I focus my time. So I just started making changes from there. Um, 
but yeah, it's just it's it's you never think you're going to go through it, and you never you you never plan for it. But I'm grateful for that, that I did. Like I wouldn't change my situation at all because I wouldn't be making impact, and I wouldn't be making the real impact that I'm making now if Dad hadn't passed away. Absolutely, man. The impact that you're making is huge, and it's all you know coming from vulnerability and sharing your experiences, which. You know, I guess that's a great segue into what we're going to mm. do now. I mean, if I said to told all my listeners that you ran from Craigieburn to Yarrawonga, people would be like, what is he doing? Does he have his head screwed on? <laughs> what, why did you do that, man? What is run for Joey? Talk to us. Why did you decide to go to Yarrawonga? I've got so many questions, but talk yeah. to us about how it started. Yeah, it <laughs> kind of goes from one crazy journey to the other. Is I don't know. It, it was an idea that... I think I saw the way dad had been treated through the hospital. And if anyone's been through the hospital system a lot, they know that the tireless work that these nurses and stuff put in. So my idea started was like, all right, how can I give back? Because I started changing my mentality from me to we. So straight away, I was like, all right, I'm not going to focus on me. How can I give back to the community? How can I give back to the people that supported us for the last five years? And I just knew that I was going to do something different. I just, and it was going to be around training or some physical challenge because I started running a bit more. Um, I'd never been a runner in the past. Like I played footy, but I'd never done long distance. Um, I only used running as a therapeutic use um, to just sort of wash away the pain of what was going to happen in that day of going to the hospital and dad going through what he went through. So the idea just came from wanting to give back. Um, and I'd just been going back and forth for about six months and I just couldn't put my I just couldn't put my finger on what I wanted to do. And then every year we had we'd go down to Yarrawonga, which was a family holiday destination since I was three or four years old. And we used to go over the uh, New Year's period. And I after dad passed away, we said as a family, all right, instead of going down at New Year's, let's go on dad's birthday, the 5th of March, and spend the week up there with the family celebrating dad's life and his legacy so the second year we went down um i remember just driving down the hume highway heading towards yarrawonga and it was like a light i know it sounds cliche but like you know you just have that light bulb moment i just like something something came over me and i was like fuck i was like that's it i'm like i found it i'm like, i remember i was in the car with mum and she's like what are you she's like what are you smiling at i was like i said i know what i'm gonna do and she said oh what's that I said, next year, I'm going to run to Yarrawonga. And at this stage, I didn't even know how far it was. I had no clue. I just said, I'm going to run to Yarrawonga. And she just like, she just laughed. And anyone who knows my mum, my mum swears a lot. And she's like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> That's what she said. She goes, you're a fucking idiot. And I was like, no, nah. I said, I'm serious. And I just, I planted it in my head. I planted it so deep in my mind that I was like, all right, as soon as I get to Yarrawonga, which was like a two hour drive, I went straight on Instagram live. I was like, guys, da 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 da. da. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna run to Yarrawonga. I'm gonna raise. And I, in my head, I was just like, fuck, what's a good number? Oh, hundred grand seems, <laughs> seems crazy. So I said, I'm gonna raise a hundred thousand dollars. I said, I don't know how it's gonna look. I said, stay tuned for more detail. So I was like, holy shit. I was like, fuck, I've committed to it now. So I get on my Google Maps. I, I type in Craigieburn, Yarrawonga, and it said. 262 kilometers and i was like oh god i was like geez that's a long way i was like but you know what i said if i dedicate the next 12 months 
I put my mind to it. I dedicate my body. I dedicate my life to it. I said, I'll do it. I said, the, the why is there. Like the passion, the purpose behind it is there. So then, yeah, we just, while I was in Yarra, I started throwing ideas, speaking to the family. And they said, you know, why don't you call it the run for Joey? And that was it. I, I, I put another post up and then people started reaching out. How can we help? Like this, ama- this idea is amazing. Like the first person to reach out was a digital designer. He's like, mate, I'll do your website. He's like, have you thought about it? I was like, I, didn't, mate, I haven't even thought that far ahead. I said, I don't even know how I'm going to train for this yet. Digital designer is like, I'll do all your content website social posts everything because i do it for free and i was like fuck all right so we started just getting onto it i said just throw me some ideas some designs and i just knew so if anyone knows the run for joey logo it's got the, got the shaka in it so the, the reason why i put the shaka was because every time i come home from school dad would be on the couch and he'd just give me a shaka and say how was your day so i just thought it was just an amazing idea to throw in as part of the design so that started and then the idea originally was just like, I'm gonna run, I'll, however much money I raise, I raise. Like, it was never gonna be this thing that is now turning into a, a non-for-profit and it's we're going into our second year. And I was like, I'll just, I'll run, raise a little bit of money and if people wanna join me, they join me. But then it just started like momentum, like businesses starting jumping on board. People asked, you know, how can we help you? Like, can we run with you? Can we? Donations started coming in, like Peter McCallum started jumping on board and because they saw that we were generating some momentum. And then, like before I knew it, it was like consumed my whole life. Like I just, I, I probably tackled it just in the wrong way. Like as in, I, I just threw my whole life at it, but it's what made it what it is today. Like if I hadn't have thrown my whole, like I pretty much stopped working. I was working one day a week, living off, like I'm lucky I live at home, which is amazing. Um, but I put all my time and energy into training, into raising money to the point where we, yeah, we ended up raising 60 some, yeah, just over 60 grand for the Peter McCallum, like where my expectation was probably 10, 15 grand. I know I said a hundred and, but to be honest, a hundred wasn't, I knew that wasn't going to be possible, but like we raised $60,000 and we built a community based off love and care. And that's exactly what I, and all because I shifted the focus from, you know, me to how can I help the community? How can I help other people? Um, don't, don't get me wrong, it took years off my life. Like the mental stress, the emotional the, and the physical battle was absolutely brutal. Like um, just the training, like I said to you before the podcast, it was like, you know, we'd, I'd put in sort of 30, 35, 40 hours a week of just training from everything like from my running, strength training, mobility, yoga, Pilates, meditation, stretching, recovery. Like I dedicated my whole life to it. Um, and then, yeah, trying to work and trying to earn a bit of crust on the side um, and then trying to raise the money because the business, I, I underestimated the business side of it, which I've never been like business savvy, but I've, quickly learned like constantly in meetings with businesses with people with organizations doing fundraising events like i just went mentally sane i had a meltdown i think it was so when i did the run did the run in february about october 2019 i had a meltdown for a week i just i just would cry constantly and i just i just felt like i was it was too much for me and i think i needed that like i needed that just that reassurance that like, dude, you're in for the 
you're in for the grind and I, and I love that like I just for me I was like give me more like just and I just re I just reset and sometimes we need that in life like you know sometimes we need just a little kick up the ass to be like don't get ahead of yourself like just come back down to reality um reassess have a bit of a break and go again so yeah after that week it was just like all right I'm in now I'm, I'm focused I'm zoned in until I got to the run and the run is another story. The, the, the run is. <laughs> can't wait to go. <laughs> the run is. Yeah, the run was incredible, man. But um, the build up was taxing. Um, but like anything, you want to create something monumental. You want to create change. Like, I knew I wasn't going to do some fun run. Like, I knew. I could have easily just said, all right, I'm going to sign up to Peter McCallum. They do a half marathon every year. Could have done that and just raised a couple of grand. And, but I was like, nah. I was like, I, I feel like I'm mentally i'm i'm at a different level now i feel like i can do something quite special um and i can do something a little bit different so if anyone try you know if you're you're trying to create change be prepared man that you gotta you gotta sacrifice some part of your life to do that like it just you don't just wake up and (laughs) and just go through the motions and next minute you've just built a community based off love and care and created endless amounts of change like i just knew and because of everything I'd been through and going back to that fear thing was like, I didn't fear it. Like, I wasn't scared. I, I'd never been a runner, but I just knew I was going to put in the work to do it. So I was so mentally just prepared to grind every single day that I knew I was going to create something special. Um, and the support I got along the way was amazing because they saw the authenticity. They saw how genuine it was. And they saw that I was doing it for the right reasons. Like, I wasn't creating something based off myself. Like I wasn't doing something based off, you know, putting myself on a pedestal. Like I couldn't think of anything worse than doing that. So yeah, man, that was like, that was the lead up with the run. Special is an understatement, Damien. That's what you've created is monumental. I'll use your words there. Unbelievable. Two things stand out for me in what you just said is the the community aspect. Actually, Mm. no, first thing, that's how easy it is to start a new journey and start a new venture. Like literally you got out of the car and you went on Instagram live you made yourself accountable mm. to those people. You didn't know what you were getting into. <laughs> like you just did it. You're like, all right, I'm gonna do it. That's yeah. how easy it is to start something yeah. new. So I guess one bit of advice for everyone out there that's thinking about starting something new. That's how simple it is. Hold yourself mm. accountable and just mm. do it. Jump in the deep end. Mm. I think that's the only way forward. Mm. Um, another thing that oh, stands out for me is the community aspect there and the amazing support that you got from. Mm people around you wanting to support and wanting to help and, and it's evident through everything that you do and, and the th- you know the footprint you've left behind it's just incredible so I really really love that community aspect and we will get into that later yeah. but talk to us day one what were you thinking <laughs> man like <laughs> did you think oh, oh crap what have I signed up for like it was it just felt so surreal eh? like <clears throat> you know when you you work towards something but it just because I announced it so far out, it just felt like it was never coming. Like, I just felt like I'm training and I'm training and I'm working and I'm training. It just, like, it didn't even feel like it was happening. And then the night, it got to the night before the run and I just remember instantly being like, I am shitting my pants right now. Like, I know, but I knew I was ready. Like, I knew I'd, the work I had put in physically to get to that point, like, I was just so ready to do it. All the family came over. And I had like 50 people at my house. Like everyone was just having a drink for dad and 
Um, it was the twenty. It was the twenty eighth of February, um, and it was a leap year, so I was leaving on the 29th. And I just remember just trying to stay relaxed, just trying to stay, um, you know, do all the right things, just stay in my routine, like keep hydrated, try and eat good food, mentally just try and stay like zoned in, but relaxed enough to zone out. Um, woke up in the morning and. Everyone had come back in the morning because I said, I want everyone to come back. I want um, the morning of to be just something special. So all family, friends, I think we had about 75 people, 80 people standing in my driveway, you know, just watching me pack the car and <laughs> asking me questions. And like, people didn't know, you know, do we, uh, like, do we ask him how he's feeling? Like people were just so tentative. Like they didn't know how to speak to me. Like if I was just zoned in where... Just leave him alone, let him do his thing. Do we make jokes? Do we have a laugh? Like, just no one knew what was... Ha- like, I think people were just looking at me like, I don't think he knows what he's in for. Like, because, uh, don't get me wrong, people doubted it a lot. Like, people were like, dang it, like, you're going to run... I said 250, but it ended up 290 kilometres. Like, like, you're going to run 290 kilometres. Like, are you sure you're going to do that? I was like, I'm going to do it, mate. I'm like, watch. I'll fucking do it. 100%. So I think people were just like, just scared for me because I didn't have that level of fear I was like all right my body's gonna ache mentally I'm gonna be destroyed I said but I'm like I'm not dying I'm gonna be okay I'm gonna make it through but I think people had this feeling of like shit we're scared for him (laughs) we are we don't know if he's gonna die we don't know if he's gonna end up in hospital like the the most feared person was my mum like she was just and like any good mother, like they're worried about their child. Like my mum was just like, fuck, she's like, I'm scared for you, Damien. I remember she just cried all morning. She cried and cried and I'm just like, God. I was emotionally exhausted before the run had even started because I was just trying to control it. Just trying to, you know, just use it as energy. But it was hard, man, because I was doing this for my father. Like, you know, it wasn't like I just signed up to an event. There was no emotional attachment. And it was just like, all right, I've got to prepare physically. Like this was a... This was a journey that had destroyed me physically, destroyed me mentally, destroyed me emotionally. And like for me, the emotional toll is much bigger than the physical toll. So in the morning of the run, I just remember feeling drained. And I now had 42 kilometers to run on that first day. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm fatigued already. Like it was nine o'clock in the morning. We hadn't even left yet. And I was already drained. So the best thing was just leaving the house. Like I remember there was 12 runners the first day. And I just couldn't wait to leave. I couldn't wait to just get on the pavement, just start ticking the legs over, just start getting into a bit of a routine. But it was hard because, you know, like I remember making a speech, I'd broken down, I was crying, mum was crying, everyone was crying. So the first day was the worst day for me. Like just, yeah, I just, I wanted to get into routine. I wanted to get into rhythm. Like, cause that's the biggest thing with running is like, just, you just need to concentrate on your breathing, concentrate on just making sure your technique's good um but i had so many other elements that were affecting that that the first day got me like i got i remember get to the end of the first day and it was it was undulating terrain um i think it was like 700 meters elevation like we were just running up hills down hills it was we were running on like dirt tracks and and i was like god i was like i am i remember just feeling destroyed i was like all right i just need to I just need a good sleep, recover, eat well, get up the next day and do it all again. <laughs> I'm going to stop you there, Damien. 290 Ks, man. That is incredible. Day one. Describe the emotions 
and paint the picture for the emotions when you're going to press start on your on your Garmin before you <laughs> before you kick off. What was going through your head? <laughs> um, like I said, it was just. I think I had to. It was as soon as I clicked the watch. It was like, all right, now we're in. Like now we're ready to go. Once I clicked that watch, like there's no stopping. Like for the next six days, I'm. There is no way that I can not finish this thing. So it was just excitement. Like I would just, like I said to you, I just wanted to get running. I just wanted to get away from the family. I wanted to get away from just the pressure. Because that's what I like. For me, that's what it was too. Is like there was a lot of pressure that I was one had to finish this thing, but uphold a legacy. So as soon as I clicked that watch, it was like game time. It's like when you play footy and you cross the white line, and you know the siren goes, and you throw the ball up, and it's like now we're in, we're locked. So for me, it was like. Man, I just done twelve months of training for this one moment to click that watch and start running. So I was just pumped. Like, get me in. I just want to start feeling pain. I want to start feeling. Just throw whatever, throw anything at me. We're ready to go. Love it, man. Absolutely love it. So let's pick up. Yeah, you just finished day one. You ran a marathon, forty-two yeah. k's on day one. <laughs> what happened when you when you where were you sleeping first and foremost like what happened when you hit the bed or the concrete <laughs> so if you're fortunate. sleeping outside <laughs> we were very fortunate we had um like sponsors pay for accommodation we had a lot of accommodation um where they donated rooms for us so we we were comfortable don't get me wrong like we weren't sleeping in five star but we were sleeping in three star which was anything's <laughs> a five star after yeah, that run yeah anything yeah. i had a bed i was more than happy but <laughs> This was the first time that I had like, even in my training, I never backed up runs. So I never run a marathon. And then the next day when I run another marathon, I'd always, my longest run in my training was 42K. Um, and I never backed that up. Like I, the next day I'd do like a recovery run. So I remember just wake up in the morning. I felt good. Like I felt, I was like, I actually feel okay. Like my legs were a bit tight, which naturally you run a marathon. Most, most experts will say you need a month off after you run a marathon. Like, and here I was getting up the next day to run another marathon so i woke up the next day and the amazing thing was having people around me that's what helped me the most like day two i had a couple of my best mates a few other people like there was i think seven of us on that day so i opened the door at 7am and you know they're out there waiting for me like so that's what helps you through too is like just having people around like it's going back to like when i when you asked me who did you turn to like when I should have turned to people in that time of need when dad was dying, like now I had changed my thinking and I was like, now I can lean on my friends who were there to support me to run. So getting up on day two, I was like, I was just excited to just to be with, you know, the people who met, meant the most to me and we we're going to push each other for the next five hours. We were going to push each other physically because some of the, some of the guys had never run a marathon for, before. So, you know, going back to, again, changing the focus from me, it's not about how I'm feeling. Like, I know the run is my run, I'm doing it, but I'm there to support someone who's just about to run his first ever marathon. So that's, in my head, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm here to help those guys through as well. As much as they're here to support me run, take the focus off, all right, I've got another four days after this to run. How can I just be in the moment, just be present? So day two was just exciting. Like I just, I was feeling good, like no problem. My body was amazing. I had my best mates. Like what more could you ask for? So off we went and um, it was it was challenging because as you go more north in from Melbourne and country Victoria, it gets hot. 
Like especially in the middle of February. It was it was hot, man. Like I remember day two being I think it got up to like thirty four degrees and just profusely sweating, feeling drained, sunburnt. Like I had sunscreen on, but you just you can't. It's inevitable. You're gonna get fucking burnt at some stage. So I just remember getting like twenty five, thirty K in and all of us just being like a little bit dejected because we were just drained. Like running in thirty four degree heat is not it's quite dangerous. And if you're physically not prepared, it's... But we had a good strategy. Like, we would we would run 10K, have a bit of a break, like a couple of minutes, have something to eat, drink, and then go again. So we just did it in, like, 10K blocks. But got through the end of day two, drained. Like, absolutely. Like, and my body was sore. Now, it was probably the first sign that I was like, all right, I'm... I'm starting to feel a little bit of hurt. <laughs> like, like this, this is not as fun as what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I was like, this is not as fun as what I thought it was going to be. Started getting a little bit of tightness through my hips. You know, my glutes were like rocks. Like, they were just so tight. And I was like, okay, well, understandable. You just ran 85 kilometers in two days. Like, so finished the day, but it was just incredible. Like, I remember just, we all embraced each other. We hugged each other. Like we even like some of us cried because it was just like, you know, one of my closest friends, he had his family there, his wife, his kids, and his kids saw him run a marathon that he had never done before. So for me, that was like, I was like, this is why we're doing it because this guy just ran 42 kilometers to show his three daughters what he's capable of and what you are capable of. So it was quite emotional day two, um, but for a different sense because the focus wasn't on me. The focus was on the people around me. And I was emotional because they had done something that they had set out and they had planned to do in support of me. So two days in <laughs> and we're 85 kilometers. Unbelievable. Some people don't even drive that far in two days, man. So... Uh, while we're on the topic of recovery and rehab, talk to us a little bit about what you were doing. Like, did you have any, you know, guidance? Did you have a coach? Like, yeah. you know, how'd you make sure you were oh. drinking enough? <laughs> like, so many questions. Yeah. So, going back to like in the lead up, I, I employed a run coach. Um, so my my coach even now to this day is a guy, Jace Control. He's from Sydney, ultra marathon runner, been in the industry for thirty years. He he did all my programming. Um, so in that sense, I, I did everything properly. Employed a strength coach, so made sure all my strength was up to scratch that, you know, like my knees could handle, my ankles could handle it, my hips. But in terms of like recovery, it's hard, man. Like on the, when you run for five hours and you get home and you like you finish that day, the, the initial thing is nutrition. So for me, the biggest thing in recovery and, and <clears throat> one of the constants in recovery and you look at all the research is nutrition is number one it's the first thing that leads to your recovery the second thing hydration start pumping fluids back into your body making sure you're putting the right fluids because especially like on something like day two where it's 35 degrees i probably lost four kilos five kilos in that day um so making sure that you're nutritionally up to speed hydration is is on point and the third thing for me is always like sleep and then when you look at all research in recovery they're the three things that everyone will agree on like there is no consensus against any of those like you have to make sure they're on point so they were the three things I, I i made sure i did um i took recovery boots with me so i don't know if everyone if you used the recovery boots before yeah. for the listeners that don't know what they are give us a little nutshell description of what they so are basically they these compression guard like the big compression boots that you slide into your legs 
hit a button and they just pump up with air and they constrict your muscles and then they reduce in air so then your your muscles open up so the idea is much like an ice bath and doing hot and colds is you're you know you're restricting the blood out and then you're restricting the blood in so you're getting those toxins out the lactic acid and you're putting fresh blood to come through i've never been massive on like these sorts of things um even ice baths and things like that i've never been sort of a huge fan on um like there's research for it, there's research against it. I, for me, it's it's how it makes you feel mentally. Um, so mentally for me, I, I never really had used them in the lead up to my training. Um, so yeah, I use the recovery boots, um, ice bath a little bit. But to be honest, all I wanted to do once I finished running was I just wanted to lie on the bed, man. <laughs> I just wanted to, I wanted to roll over and I wanted to sleep. Understandable, you would have slept like a yeah, baby. Yeah, and I had a, I brought a masseuse with me, which was, I was fortunate enough that one of my close friends wanted to come and spend the six days and she was a masseuse and works at a footy club. So, you know, as soon as the run would finish, I'd, I'd get in the compression boots, I'd get a massage. Um, and that was okay on the shorter days. So the first three days were shorter days. But on days four and five, we did 65K and 62K. Day three was the hardest one because physically, I, it was the first time I started doubting myself. I started doubting if my body was going to make it. But one thing you realize quite quickly with running is there's a difference between being injured and there's a difference between just being uncomfortable. And one, and the quickest lesson I learned on the run was like, I'm just uncomfortable. I'm not injured, I'm not, you know, if I keep running, it's just, I'm just pushing through mentally. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna injure myself. I'm not, I've put in the work, I've come too far to get there. Day four was the first long distance run. And I'd only ever run a 42K. That was the longest I've ever run in my training. And now I was waking up and I had to run 61, 62 kilometers. What's the thoughts going through your mind rolling out of bed, sore quads, sore glutes, sore calves? <laughs> Just keep moving forward. Like even my coach said it, he's like, and I said it in my speech in the morning of the run. I said, if I can't run, I'll walk. I said, if I can't walk, I'll crawl. I said, if I can't crawl, I'll die. That was my attitude. So I was at a point where I could just move forward. And mentally for me, I, I just never broke once. Like mentally, and I'm lucky because I'd went through the most agonizing time of my life. So going and running for me was like, I'm just sore, man. Like I'm just, my, my body just hurts. Like I'm not dying, I'm not, nothing like that. So waking up on day four, I was like, yeah, I don't have to run 61K straight. Like you got, I, I, I've got to put it in context for people is like, I'm not waking up on day four being like, all right, I am now running for the next eight hours straight, no breaks, no nothing. It's like, all right, we broke it down to 10K blocks. So we'd run 10K, have a break, reset have something to eat nutrition hydration and then go again but we left at like nine in the morning and we finished at i think it was six o'clock at night so we spent the whole day on day four just just running man like i remember when we finished it started getting dark it was like it was yeah, six o'clock at night it was like the sun was coming down and it's just it's brutal like i can't even i can't put it into words like you're just running off adrenaline, you know? And then once the adrenaline runs out, you're just running off your why. So for me, a lot of the time, I was just running off, why am I doing this? And that was enough to keep me moving forward. Like if I started feeling like, oh, I'm going to stop, I can't. 
I just need like an hour break because like nah man your dad never had an hour break like that's what I'd tell myself I'd be like your dad never had a break so what gives you the right to stop right now like I I just mentally was so entrenched in what I was doing that I was like physically I'm just and people don't understand what the physical body can do man like it's until you put yourself in that position like most people with running it's like they feel a little bit of lactic acid build up and it's like oh fuck this hurts man i need to stop like push if you if you just push past that like just get through this day just get through this moment just get through this circumstance once you get through it you realize that like you can keep going like you, you you're starting to build resilience you're starting to build like a foundation of like what it means to like push past the realm of possibility and that's where i was at like my body was numb like i was just my body was so numb like i was taking anti-inflammatories because everything was tight like i was i take painkillers like this is not I, I i wouldn't recommend for people to do it but on a situation like this like i was just at a point where i was doing what it took to get my body through so running numb for the last three days was where i was at it was like i couldn't feel my legs i couldn't feel my ankles my toes like but my body was moving because my why and my like you know my dedication to what the cause was was like no nah, i'm just going to keep moving forward incredible man we are absolutely incredible human beings that we can yeah. pass anything and like mm. you're a true testament to that like staring the biggest challenges of your life twice in your <laughs> 20s yeah. is just unbelievable man like 60ks in a day is is, is crazy how were your feet like did you have blisters at the bottom of your oh, feet dude <laughs> Like, my feet look like a horror scene. <laughs> like, to be honest, I caught blisters on the first day. First day, my, I had blisters straight away. And then from there, every day after that, I was just managing blisters. Like, I had blood through my shoes. Like, um, every toe was filled with blood. So, like, at the end of each day, I'd take my socks off, take my shoes off. I'd get a pin and I'd pop every toe with blood and like just my feet were absolutely destroyed um and it's just it's kind of natural like you're smashing your toes into your shoe like but it hurt man <laughs> like there was points where i'd literally i just i just wanted to take my shoes off and run barefoot because just they were so like fresh skin and then like it's you know i was trying not to take the the old skin off because as soon as you take the old skin off you got fresh vulnerable skin coming through as soon as that would happen then that layer of skin would get smashed and i just have blister after blister there was one point i remember on day two i was running and i just heard a pop in my shoe and then all of a sudden like my whole top of my shoe was just covered in red blood because i had popped a blister while i was running and i didn't even want to take my shoe off to have a look and i had a look at the end of the day and like my whole pinky toe was just skin ripped off like it was <laughs> <laughs> but it was like in my mind I'm like dude it's a blister man like just put put some tape on it like it's okay like it's gonna but at the same time <laughs> if anyone's gonna they hurt man they like, do yeah they hurt but I'm not gonna stop because of a blister <laughs> your why is too big and I yeah. really really love that and we will get into how to structure your why and yeah, why, the, sure. why it's so important later on but day five. before we go into day five your second last day mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about how you structured the the run. Did you have any sort of plans? Why did you leave 60Ks on the Thursday, uh, on the day four and day five? Yeah. Why did you do it like that? And why didn't you do 60Ks at the, at the beginning? Yeah. To ha- so there was your- a method to the madness. Um, 
So obviously when I said, all right, 250K, which is initially what it was, I broke it down in six days and said, all right, roughly a marathon a day. So that was the idea of how I structured it for six days. But then the other thing was going back to community was I don't want to do this run and run to each suburb or town and not have an impact when I get there. So what I did was I just, I, I penciled out major country towns that I wanted to stop at. So like we went, um, Craigieburn to Kilmore, Kilmore was the first big town, Kilmore to Seymour, Seymour to Nagambi, Nagambi to Shepparton, Shepparton to Cobram, Cobram to Yarra. Like they're probably the biggest towns within country Victoria as you go north um, on that trail towards Yarrawonga. You can go the other way and go um, like Yeroa, Wangaratta and things like that, but it just structurally didn't work. So that way just meant I just had to do the kilometers. That meant I'd get to that town. So like Craigieburn to Kilmore, 41 kilometers, Kilmore to Seymour, 43 kilometers, Seymour to Nagambi, 38, Nagambi to Shepparton, 61, Shepparton to Cobram, 65, and then Cobram to Yarrawonga, 40. So that's how I structured the layout. So it was like, whatever the distance is, like obviously it's less than ideal doing the longer distance on the back end, but because I wanted to, so each time we got to a town, like we would, we would have people like cheering us in um, we had like the local news come and, so and take photos and do write-ups. But then we did, like I did a lot of dinners. So like at the country, like local pub, I'd go there and have dinner and just talk to the locals. And that's why I wanted to structure it like that is because we would create more community and more impact when we got there than if I had just ran to just the smallest town or smallest sub. Plus, you've got to think of accommodation. Like the bigger towns, there's more accommodation. Like if I go run to a, just a small town, you got the chances that they got nowhere to sleep, and then what? I'm gonna bring a tent and sleep. Like it just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's practicality too. Definitely, I love it. Just for the listeners at home that can't see your facial expressions, as Damien was going through day day six, he shrugged his shoulders and put his arms up like, oh, just forty k's, dude, just forty k's. Love it. That's just your mentality, unreal. So you're waking up day five. Talk me through it. Oh, day five, man. This is this is when it started getting quite brutal and quite. I'm going to say dangerous. The longest run of the yeah, trip, wasn't so it? Sixty-five k's. We'd done sixty-one, and so now we're going into sixty-five. So in two days, we'll we're going to run one hundred and twenty-four kilometers. And the funny thing about day five was it was only supposed to be a 51 kilometer day but when i put it into google maps in the morning something had changed i don't know what had changed like the route uh, from when i had done it before and now on my google maps when i punched it in i was about to give the phone to the guys in the car it said 60 65 kilometers i was like what the fuck 65 kilometers it was like when i checked it like three weeks ago <laughs> it said 50 53 or 54 kilometers i was like I told the guys because the guys were because we had more runners come, so there's probably five or six of us on that day, and they're like, "Dude, do you, do you realize what you're asking us to do? An extra ten kilometers on top of fifty-three kilometers." I was like, "We've got no choice." I said, "I'm not going to get to fifty-three kilometers and then jump in the car and drive us to the destination. Like, we're going to run the extra ten kilometers." So that yeah, in the context of that day, we went from waking up thinking fifty-three kilometers, it now went to sixty-five kilometers, and I was just like scratching my head. I was like, "But you know what?" 
280 kilometers, 290 kilometers, same, same. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make a difference. But was that thought, the first? Sorry, David. Was that the first sort of time when you thought, "Wow, like, what, what have I got myself into?" Not really, because I was already 180 kilometers in, and I was like, "I've gotten into deep shit anyway." Like this. Okay, so I keep yeah, going. For me, it didn't matter. Like, if you had said to me, "Run another 50 kilometers," I would have done it. But day five, it was like the weather t- turned. It was pissing down rain. Like we woke up in the morning, it was like torrential rain. Um, it was brutal. Like as soon as we stepped out onto the pavement, the roads were wet. And because to paint the picture for everyone, is like we were running on the road. So main road, 80 kilometers, 100 kilometers an hour with a support vehicle behind us. And... When you're like along the Hume and going north, it's a lot of trucks. So you've got a lot of um, trucks coming from New South Wales, Sydney coming down. So we spent that whole day, I think the one, it was one road for about 45 kilometres. So literally we just looked in front of us and you just couldn't see an end. Like it was 45 kilometres, one road, 100 kilometres an hour, trucks are flying by, rain and, and spray from the trucks. He's like, every time a truck would come past, I'd have to put my head down, hold my hat. And I'd just get drenched with water and all of us. And that's what we did for 45 kilometers. But that day, something something changed um, in terms of where we went mentally. Like, I always say to people, you get you get the runners high. And anyone who is a long distance runner, you get this thing where it's like, it's like you feel like you've taken a drug. And it puts you into another space of reality. So... All I remember was just like for 30 kilometers, just having my head down, softening my eye gaze. And it was like I was watching my life from afar. I was watching myself run. And I just, I didn't even feel like I was just on earth. I felt like I was in this new realm of like reality on this new world and just looking at myself run. And for about 20 kilometers, we just, we'd run. So we were running around six minute, 30 kilometers for the whole run. For this period of 20 kilometers on day five, we, we started running five minute flat kilometers and to put that in a context like running five minute flat kilometers like that's the sort of running i would do in my lead up in my training but our minds just went somewhere different like our bodies something i don't know if it was the red bulls we're having or <laughs> whether it was the coca colas i don't know what it was but it's like our body just found another gear for that 20 kilometers and I never felt like that before. Like it was, it was just incredible. Like even the other guys who had just come for the run on that day were like, "Dude, like, fuck, what are you like? How are you doing this? Like, how are you running? Like, it's not only how are you running, how are you running at that speed? Like after being nearly two hundred kilometers in, I was like, I don't know, I can't explain it to you. I'm like, but I'm, while we're in this zone, let's keep going. Just keep up, like just keep up with me. Like I can't stop. Like I have to keep going. So like these guys are just trying to keep up with me, to the point where they had dropped off a fair bit, and I was like, I can't stop until, until I feel like I'm out of this zone of like meditation. That's how I was feeling. I feel like I was just concentrating my breathing. I felt like I was asleep, but I was running. So then we finally stopped, and then we waited about three, four minutes, and the other guys caught back up to us, and they're like, dude, they're like that. Whatever that happened just then, they're like, we don't fucking, we don't even know who you are. Like, because they were trying to talk to me as I was running and I just wasn't responding. Because I, like I said, I just felt like I wasn't present. Like I was just, my mind went somewhere that I can't explain to people. Um, and the, the guys knew that when I'm in that state, like, don't talk to me. 
just let me be, let me run because I've got I've got a purpose for the next 10, 15, 20k. So when we stopped, everyone was just like, fuck, relief. Like, dude, I feel like you, you snapped out of it now. Like, <laughs> Wake up, Dave. Yeah, they're like, can you just like relax and just go back to running six minute 30Ks? And I'm like, all right, I've done that. with Because my thing was break the back. Like break the back of the midpoint of the run. The hardest part of the run is like 20 to 40K. Like that's the hardest point. The first 20 is okay. The last 20 is fucking, you, can, you know there's an end in sight, like, but you can get through it. The hardest point is that midpoint. So I was like, always the midpoint, I gotta just zone in, break the bank. And that's what we did, man. And we, yeah, we, we got through and the end of day five was special because all the family had come up um, and they met us in uh, Cobram. And I remember finishing and my mum hugged me at the end. There was like 60 of our family members. Um, and I remember just nearly collapsing, like I just, I tried to stand up, but my body just went into like this shock mode and I kind of fell and my brother caught me and everyone started screaming. They're like, they're like, is he all right? Is he all right? Like, is he like, what's happened? Like, did I make him sit down? Like, and I was just like, I was like so out of it because my body was hurting so much. I'd, I'd been taking a lot of like anti-inflammatories just to, just to, yeah, just to get through, just to mask the pain. Um, but I started messing with my, my head a little bit like i just I, I was probably taking a bit too much but at this point i didn't care like i just i had to get through um by the end of day five my f- i had uh, i had a flare-up in my ehl in my ankle my foot was like a balloon to the point where i had to undo all my laces right to the last part of the lace just to get my foot out of my shoe so while you're running, it's like, it's okay because adrenaline's getting you through. But when you stop, it's like your body instantly goes into shutdown mode. And that's what happened to me on day five. I, it was pissing down rain. I was shivering. They sat me down, all my family around me. And I just was sitting there crying. Like I was just crying because my body, like you go into shock mode. Because when you run for eight hours, we ran for eight and a half hours that day. Mentally, it's exhausting. Physically, you're destroyed emotionally. It's so I got to the end of the day, and I'm sitting in this chair and just crying and shivering, and people are like panicking and worried. And do we call the ambulance? What do we do? And I'm just like, just fucking, like, just leave me alone. Just let me. I just let me get through this period. So then, yeah, just you know, do the normal routine, recover, eat, shower, relax. Going to day day six. Let's let's finish this thing off. So. Damien, before we get into day six, I feel stupid asking this question, but was day five the easiest day considering the, the circumstances, like 65Ks? But what you've described to me is that you were just in this, you know, you, you hate to use the word superhero mm. before, but you were a superhero getting through <laughs> that. Like, was that the easiest day for you? Yeah, I think it was. I think when I look back, each day had their challenges and each day like had the positives and negatives. But that day five was was a turning point for me to be like 200k into a run physically destroyed you can still push your body so i think i learned the biggest lesson that even when you're under that much stress and that much physical pain you can still keep pushing so for me day five was just beautiful man like i unlocked something in my my mentality that like you can you can't unlock unless you get to that point um so yeah i wouldn't say it was the easiest but it was the, it was like 
the most lessons we'll learn on that day. Love it. Absolutely love it. So the end of day five, you know, you're, you painted, painted the picture for us before about how you had to take all your laces out of your shoe. What were you thinking then? Were you like, oh, like, how am I going to get through day six? My ankle's cooked. Like, what did you do in terms of recovery and how did you get through yeah. waking up on day six to finish it off? So basically I was like, my mentality was, I've only got 40 kilometers to go. <laughs> I know it sounds stupid, but so I was 250 kilometers in now. My, my mindset was I've got 40 kilometers to go and I've, I've done something that 99% of the population wouldn't normally do. But at the same time, I had to deal with what was ahead. My body was broken. Like when I say broken, I couldn't, the guys had to help me to bed. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't even walk around because my ankle was just so swollen and so sore that I couldn't even put pressure on it. Um, and I don't know if anyone's ever, whoever's listening, if you've ever had surgery and you've taken endone. So that's the point I was at. I was taking endone. So day five, I took, I took a cup of endone just to get through the day. These are post-surgery drugs. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not putting that out there to be like, yeah, look at me, I took, it's got nothing to do with that. And I'd never, and if I had to do that run again, I wouldn't do that because it, it messed me up. But I was just doing what it was taking because in my mind, I could have stopped and been like, my body's too broken now, but that would have crushed me more than just putting up with that. So the night of recovery, by this stage, the recovery, recovery had lessened and lessened each night because I was just so tired so exhausted like running from 9 till 6 p.m by the time you eat by the time you shower i'd get like a little rub down it's already like eight nine o'clock yeah. eight nine o'clock i have to go to bed because now i've got to get up at six in the morning and run again so the, the recovery part of it was so challenging because each day i just i just get to the end of the day and i'd be like i'm just going to sleep like, i just want to sleep like and to throw in another hour two hours of recovery i just couldn't do it like, I really just couldn't do it. So at this stage, I was like, my body's that destroyed that it didn't matter if I put the recovery boots on. It didn't matter if I had an ice bath. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Like, my body was broken. There was just, it was me, my mindset, mentality, and that's it. Like, let's just get through. So waking up on day six was, was a tough, man. Like, I remember getting up and I went to plant my foot and couldn't even put pressure on my ankle and I looked at it and it was just bruised and swollen and it was just like I was like holy shit like this is this is bad so got up I took two tablets I was like just give me half an hour let it settle in strapped the shit out of this ankle like when I say strapped it like I had that much tape on there like my bit my blisters were like my toes were destroyed like they were just bruised, no skin on them left. So, taped up the ankle, wait for the painkillers, have something to eat, have my coffee. And at this point, I was just like, let's just get moving. Like, I just, I'm literally gonna be running so slow. And I remember the first 5K, I couldn't even put pressure on my leg. I was hobbling and we were running maybe like eight minute Ks, eight minute 30 Ks. And I think, the painkillers do something to you that you shouldn't ever experience is like I started like hallucinating a little bit you know I started seeing things because by this stage like 10k in just the painkillers weren't working so I took more painkillers to the point where like 
the guys had to either side hold me so I'd run in a straight direction because I couldn't run straight because my, I just I just didn't know where I was like I was so high off the drugs and masking the pain that I was like running and like stumbling and I did that for the next sort of 30 kilometers um, and some guys joined me about 25k in so for the last 15 kilometers I had some of my crew and my brother who my brother if anyone knows my brother is not doesn't train, hates training, he's complete opposite to me in that sense, never ran in his life, came for the last 10Ks out of pure worry because I think someone called him and said, you need to come down, like your brother's not in a good way. And my brother ran with me and I remember 10K in, as soon as he got there, I projectile vomited. Like I, everything I had in my gut, I just was running and vomiting and like, picture like someone just running and still vomiting like that's what i was doing i was running i had vomit all down my like all down my shirt like vomit on my shoes but i was still just running like i just i didn't want to stop that was the thing but people were like looking at me like in pure worry and i got about 4k from the finish and it was that bad to the point where i i I couldn't even stand up properly i was collapsing like i was almost falling to my knees they called the ambulance and I didn't know this. They didn't tell me. Um, but my brother like was crying, like my sister-in-law, everyone was just like, just thinking I was going to die. So they called the ambulance. The ambulance said, we need to talk to him. Like we can't, we can't just come out if he's conscious and he's just running. Like, so they said, we literally, if he's, if he's not in a state where something's wrong, like we can't come out. So I'm grateful because if I had seen the ambulance, I would have told him, leave me alone. But it was just pure worry. Like it was pissing down rain again. Like it was just, it was brutal. And then I got to like the 2K to go mark. And I, again, like kept vomiting, kept vomiting, kept vomiting. And this at this stage, I was just vomiting like saliva. Like I was just, there was nothing in my body, but it was because of the endone and the anti-inflammatories and all that, like just messed me up hardcore, man. Messed me up so bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> people... Even like to this day when we talk about it, like all my family are like, we have never seen anyone in that state. Like people were talking to me and couldn't, like I wasn't even responding to them. And they were like shaking me, like grabbing me and being like, Damien, Damien, I'm just like, I'm just running like this, just running, just running. And people were just like shit in their pants. And I was just like, fucking giddy up, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> let's keep going. Giddy up, let's go. I love it. Dude, your why like is so so strong, and I got you through those those mm. difficult moments. So, your four k's from the finish line, like, what are the emotions going through your head if you could even feel anything? Yeah. Like you were so out of it from the painkillers to get through. But like, take me through the last four k's and and how you got through those challenging times. Obviously, mm. you know your family being there definitely got you through there. Like, mm. paint the picture for us. <clears throat> the last four k was just it was kind of incredible because the whole Yarrawonga community knew I was coming in. So um, we had like a run club come in and join us. Um, so I had about, there was about 20 of us running into Yarrawonga. And because <clears throat> I, I knew I was there, like I was 286 kilometers in, like, like I just knew I was there. It was, you know, I just got really emotional, just a lot of like, I started crying a fair bit the last 4K. Um, but just thinking like, fuck, we've, like, we've, we're here, we've done it. And I just, I use the last 4K as a way of just going back on the last six days and thinking, 
like what was the messages we kind of portrayed over the last six days and just kept coming back to community and love and care and I just for me it was just so special I just remember thinking like this is going to change my life like just any way you looked at it it was like this was life changing for me like I was you know put myself through something physically really testing mentally emotionally but you know did something for the community so I remember just running in and my little nephew came and he's like three years old now so I held his hand and ran into um, the ski club which is down in Mawala which is the New South Wales side and I had all my family and friends drove down so there was I think there was like 130 people that were waiting and I had expected to arrive at 12pm that was the plan but because I was in such a bad way I didn't arrive till 2.30 so people had been waiting there for so long and I just remember like getting to the driveway part of the ski club and it was like another 150 metres to get to where I was finishing and I just heard people screaming cheering like I, I could see like everyone just wheeling me on and at this point I'm just like I'm just stepping one foot in front of the other like I barely was even running across the line and my mum was the first one to greet me and she would just bawled her eyes out because I think they had told her what condition I was in and kind of was just a massive embrace um, and it was just a relief man like I to be honest I wanted it to finish like I think <laughs> mentally I was done and physically I don't think I could have pushed my body any further um, so it was just instant relief it was a bit like when you know after dad passed away it was like just knowing that all that stress and had just been lifted off my shoulders and I was like fuck I'm just I'm, I'm done like get me a beer <laughs> get me the biggest long neck beer that you've got in this place because I'm ready just to knock the top off a froth um, but yeah man it was just it was relief yeah pure relief just to it knocked me man <laughs> it knocked me good but like I like we said, going back to the why, like why I did it, my purpose behind it was just so powerful that um, it created inevitably like what we created in the end, and that was something special. Amazing, and I've watched that YouTube clip that the film crew that was running with you put together like yeah. maybe a dozen times yeah. now, and like it still gives me goosebumps, like that sense of community and you completing the race. Mm. Like, just incredible, man. Like, I will have the link for that in the show notes, guys. Do yourself a favor and watch it and watch it and watch it because it is so inspiring. And doing what you did, you know, reliving traumatic experiences in your life and not only the physical aspect that you endured over the part, over the six days is just crazy, like, but the emotional side of things. And, and we spoke about your why before it got you through. And man, I take my hat off to you. It's incredible. And you're such an inspiration to everyone out there. And I guess the question is, how do you feel knowing that you were the catalyst for change for so many other people as well? Like you mentioned your brother coming and joining you on the run. You mentioned the, um, I'm not sure, was it one of your friends that was ran his first marathon yeah, for his yeah. two daughters? Like, how does it feel being the catalyst for change? It, uh, I don't feel any better than anyone. Like, I don't feel like I'm, I'm above anyone. I just feel like I've given people a platform to be the best version of themselves. And that's and that's all people need. Like, I'm here... Yes, I'm here to, to push you along and make you, you know, be better than the version that you are now. But I'm just here to provide a platform for people because that's ultimately what I was given a platform by whatever, my situation, my circumstances. Like, I'm not here to 
to portray that I'm doing something greater than anyone, you know, I'm, that I'm better than anyone. Like, I'm just learning. I'm, I'm just here doing the best thing that I know, you know, that I can do. And the only thing I can ever do is give people a platform, whether it's to push themselves physically, to open up emotionally, um, to mentally push themselves, like to be more vulnerable. I'm just here to give people a safe place to, to open up. And for me, like I always said to myself, I just need opportunity and I'll, I'll do the rest. So if I can give that to other people, give them a sense of opportunity, a sense of a platform to, to grow and be better, then I've done my job. So inspiring, man. I'm getting goosebumps listening to you speak. So you raised $60,000, did you say? How, mm. like, what was going through your head raising that amount of money knowing, you know, that mm. you banded people together? We spoke about community before yeah. and, like, how does it feel knowing knowing that that Oh, look, happened? it's pretty incredible, man. Like, it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly humbling. Like, it's, I'm, I'm more humble and grateful for it than, than anything else. Like, just to know that, you know, people were there to support. Like, I don't think people were there to necessarily support me through the journey, but I think to support, like, our society. And that's, and that's because the message of community, love, care, and, you know, being there for each other was so powerful. I think people just jumped on board. Like a lot of our donations came from people that I, I don't even know up to this day. I, I don't even know. People donated a thousand bucks, two grand, three grand, and I don't even know who they are. But I think they saw the message of banding people together in a society that's, you know, is so vulnerable. Like they saw that the message was bigger than me. And that's one thing I always wanted to continue to push was this, this run, it's bigger than me. Like it's not about me running 290K. It's not about me pushing myself physically. It's about I'm pushing myself physically so that I can give other people an opportunity to be better. Uh, so raising 60 grand was like more than what I ever thought it was going to be. But when I look back, I'm like, I'm not surprised because what we were able to achieve with, with the community was, was justified in terms of raising that money. Um, and now I know what's possible. It's like, it's endless. Like, what's next, man? Like, this shit can... You know, you can go wherever I want it to be and wherever we want it to be. Lots of words, man. Absolutely amazing. Like, take take my hat off to you and your character and everyone that helped along the way. It's such an important message that you're spreading, and you know, it's not. It's just beyond, like you said, it's just beyond you, and it's just mm. beyond the two ninety kilometers that you run or the sixty thousand dollars that you raise. It's yeah. the the impact that you had on people's lives for that, and that's something you know that can't be brought. You mentioned your next event. Hopefully, you're not running double that. Talk to us about what your next <laughs> event is, man. You'll think I'm crazy, but... You've already done that to me. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. It's like, well, I've done that. It's For me, it's about how much can I create, keep creating impact because everything I do is about impact. So the next the next venture was going to be, or still on the cards, is a run for Joey 24-hour. So the plan is to run 24 hours straight. Um, I've hired out the athletics track in Mooney Valley, um, right next to the Maribyrnong River. And the idea is just to run around the 400 meter athletics track um, for 200Ks, man. And that's the idea is 24 hours, we're gonna try hit 200 kilometers, which on average, I think we're gonna try and run seven minute 14Ks by memory. Um, but I've gotta be on my feet for 24 hours, like no sleeping, just eat while I'm running. Um, so that's, yeah, that's supposed to be the journey at the end of this year. Um, 
But yeah, so uh, we'll just see. It, it's obviously up in the air with everything that's happening, but this is where we want to take it. Um, we're trying. We're turning the run for Joe into a non-for-profit now, so um, we're in the in the process of just putting a proposal together to send to essentially the government to get an approval for non-for-profit status, and then that way we can raise money um, and put the money towards yeah, these events, um, and then make a healthy donation to the Peter McCullum Cancer Centre. So. It's happening. Opportunities are limitless, my friend. I absolutely love, you know, your mentality, the way of thinking things. It's, mm. it's so inspiring and it just goes to show that when you're faced with, you know, I'm trying to use, I don't think I can think of an adjective to use to describe what you've, what you've been through, but when you're faced with... I just call it adversity. When you're faced with adversity, Damien's words, like, and the willpower mm. to pull through and the things, the support networks that you had to pull through is just incredible. Now, we spoke about the Run for Joey as a non-for-profit organisation, but I want to know what, what, what's next for you, man. Like, you know, these, these goals are incredible. What's next yeah. for you as Damien Bajaya? Yeah, this is the question that I, I'd linked my identity so long for the Run for Joey, and it wasn't until, and this is the beauty of COVID for me, has been like, it's given me a chance to sit back, reflect on, okay, like, run for joey it's it's done some amazing things but like who am i like who's damien like i've always linked my identity to run for joey and you know people always asking me for advice on running and just mindset and being through trauma and i'm constantly like we said before i'm i'm, I'm opening up i open up my socials i open up my, my my phone to whoever needs me but i'm like all right now i need to, i need to start creating more impact because i've created impact but I want to start accelerating this thing. Like, and we had a conversation about patience before, and it was like, yeah, we have to be patient and, and you know do one thing at a time, but we can accelerate those things. And that's where I'm at now. He's like, all right, Damien Vijay brand, what is it? Who am I? Like, you know, I always preach about getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. And so we're in the process of just I'm building my Damien Vijay brand, building my online website. Um, but we're gonna release hopefully in about three or four weeks' time. Um, the be phenomenal programs so why i use phenomenal is two reasons i use the word phenomenal all the time because like when people say how are you or something phenomenal like I, I just i think it's just a great word it's just artistic it's creative it's like it's powerful but in the word phenomenal it's got om which in indian culture and spirituality is om so when people like meditate it's a um, it's a term used for consciousness and awareness and awakening so um, yeah, I use the word phenomenal and we're creating programs around this phenomenal mindset um, thing. So in four weeks' time, we're going to release the Be Phenomenal Run programs, which is going to help people work towards the, like a 10-kilometer run, a 21-kilometer run and a 42-kilometer run, which is, is absolutely incredible because now it gives people a platform to have a structure in terms of their running because most people don't know how to structure a running program. Um, and then we're going to create, I'm in the process of creating uh, Phenomenal Minds, which is going to be like a four-week course where you go through and it's just a foundational concept of mindset. And we just tap into some of the foundational things it takes to build a baseline mindset, which I think, especially in a time like this, is like we need to go back to what we're doing um, at a foundational point of view to really like, uh, build, like have building blocks from there. So for me... We're creating this mindset program. Um, hopefully, that's going to be released sort of in a couple months. But I just I want to make sure I get it right before I release it out to people. But it just give people an, 
an opportunity who are going through trauma who are probably not where they want to be or um and i'll just take them through some simple things like you know focusing on their why like their values uh, practicing gratitude um implementing simple things like training routines exercise nutrition hydration sleep patterns um how to leave a legacy and things like this so yeah there's a few exciting things happening in terms of damien rajaya and who i am um and then where it goes from there i'm not sure like that's that's my sole focus at the moment and then we'll just see but it's it's all happening and it's yeah let's just keep moving forward progression you're an open book man and completely influential incredibly influential human being and um it's evident through everyone that you come in contact with i know like i've had an absolute blast with this podcast i've learned so much about you and um i'd really love to join in on on some of your events so you've heard it here first the euphoria health community i'll join in on something to what extent i don't know but (laughs) 200 kilometers (laughs) maybe not i'm just new to the world of running (laughs) but yeah i will will be joining in may i'm really really excited to see um the growth that can happen on a personal level for me just wrapping up the podcast damien where can people get in contact with you Mm. um even more importantly where can people donate yeah. I understand the GoFundMe is still operating. Is that correct? Uh, at the moment, no, but it will be up and running again soon. It's just with the legalities of the non-for-profit, we'll yep. be back up and running. But in terms of where to find me, like obviously like your socials and things like that, um, it's Damien.Bajaya on Insta, Damien.Bajaya on Facebook. Um, Try and spell it, guys. B-U-G-E-J-A. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be on the podcast. I'll have it in the next <laughs> But just my one message with that and going back to where it, what we spoke about before was don't just follow me please like if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna follow me interact with me send me a message i'll 100 reply to everyone um that sends me a message so stay tuned uh, the run for joey's at run for joey on insta runforjoey.com.au um stay tuned for personal branding stuff and programs and things like that but please contact me don't be a stranger and double tap my photos please link up with me Let's talk about our vulnerabilities. Let's open up the conversation. Let's push forward as a society. Absolutely love it, mate. Damien, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, mate. And um, I look forward to following your journey and see what incredible things you can get up to from now. Easy, my man. Much love. Wow, that episode was something else. Damien, thanks again for your time, mate. It was um, a pleasure listening to your journey. And every time I listen to this podcast to edit it, which has been four or five times now, it's, um, it gives me goosebumps. So thanks again. Guys, if you enjoyed the episode, please let me know that you are listening. Take a screenshot, tag me and Damien in on Instagram. And if you could spare a moment, please leave a rating and review on the podcast app on iTunes as well as subscribe to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast so you can get notified when a new episode drops. Well, that's all from me, guys. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.